Well, good morning, Creation Fest. It is wonderful to be with you this morning, and isn't it a joy to worship God together outside, to experience His presence, to hear from His Word, and um, to experience the, the power of the Holy Spirit in our midst. And um, this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Genesis. If you have a Bible, I'd love you to open it at chapter 39. We're going to be uh, drawing some lessons from the life of Joseph and uh, exploring this theme of, of hope being here and that being true amidst the, the challenges of life that we face. And I, I don't know how your year has been. Of course, we've had COVID, we've had the pandemic. A lot of us have faced enormous personal challenges. I'm sure there are people here right now who've gone through job loss, illness, cancer tests, miscarriage, mental health collapse, perhaps of ourselves or of those we love and support. I'm sure that around this site, there are multiple stories of pain and trauma. And for myself, this year has been the hardest year of my life. I've had to face something worse than any nightmare I could have had. It was the trauma of the man that I had worked with in ministry for over 20 years, who led the ministry that I worked for, who died a year ago, applauded by the worldwide church, applauded by political power in America. And later it was, um, we discovered that actually he had been a sexual predator abusing women on a large scale. It has been devastating to process that disappointment of, of someone one had admired and looked up to. And for me, that's also happened amongst other challenges, um, tests for cancer and, and other kinds of challenges going on. Now, I share that with you this morning, not to ask for pity, but hopefully to begin this moment together as we look at God's word with vulnerability. Because when we read God's word, when we engage with scripture individually and corporately, we do not do it in a vacuum. We're in a cultural moment right now that the New York Times calls languishing, a kind of deep malaise that many of us perhaps personally are experiencing, or perhaps what others are describing as a moment, a time, a cultural moment of reckoning where everything is being shaken economically, environmentally, perhaps personally, and certainly in the church. It's a time of tremendous challenge. And we read the scripture in a time of challenge. We read the scripture as relevant to the moment that we find ourselves in. Now, when hard and devastating things happen, it can shake us. And I think that is especially true if we have thought of faith as kind of protecting us in a bubble on an unrelenting path of success and positivity. The early church didn't view the Christian life as a relentless, wonderful experience of happiness and joy with no suffering. How could they? In an organization of 12 people trying to change the world, it wasn't the greatest of starts. It began with a denial, Peter's denial of Jesus, not just once, but three times recorded in the Gospels. 
Honestly, would you feel confident in the leadership of someone who denounced the leader three times? If anything was humanly set up to fail, it was this movement. That denial was followed by a defection. Another disciple of Jesus, Judas, actually betrayed the Lord Jesus. And half of the first chapter of the book of Acts, the book of the Bible, devoted to how the early church grew, how the early church got established, half of that first chapter is focused on how do we find a replacement for the betrayer? A denial, a betrayal, and then in chapter five of Acts, a deception involving money and power, a couple called Ananias and Sapphira, who wanted to virtue signal their goodness, but were actually holding back their money. The church of Jesus Christ, you see, begins and grows and flourishes in the midst of trauma, in the midst of disappointment. The church of Jesus Christ operates in reality, not in fantasy. The glory of knowing him happens in the midst of trauma, disappointment, and even human failure. Do you feel the moment we are in as a UK church? A longing to be honest, to face our fears, to be honest about the challenges, and to be fruitful where we are now. A Christian life about unvarnished truth, not spin and pretense. The early church began in honesty about betrayal, defection, and deception. And we see that that God is still powerful enough to grow his church, to send his spirit, to encounter his people in the midst of even those challenges. So if you feel hopeless or disappointed today, it hasn't ever just been glory unto glory. It's always been out of ashes. God brings his spirit out of disappointment and despair. God works in new and fresh and wonderful ways. Can God make us fruitful? As Joseph said, in the land of our suffering, I believe he can. And so I felt God lay on my heart this morning the life of Joseph to speak on. So if you have that Bible, please open it at chapter 39 of the book of Genesis. And we're going to read a few verses from there. So the context is Joseph is one of the, the sons of Jacob. You remember he has the coat. He's the special beloved son. And his brothers are jealous and they've sold him to some slave traders. Verse 1, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who'd, been taken, who'd taken him there. And the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and he became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. And from the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. 
And so he had left everything in Joseph's care that he had, with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, I wonder how you feel uh, about that passage as we heard it read. How do you feel about these statements? Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3, the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Verse 3, Joseph found favour in his eyes. Verse 4, Joseph was put in charge of everything. Verse 5, he put him in charge of everything. And verse 6, so Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. And incidentally, in verse 7, he was well built and handsome. How do you feel about that as you hear those words? Joseph was in charge, in charge, in charge. Joseph experienced success and favour and blessing. Now, as we hear those words, some of us in this tent are going to feel quite excited about that. We think God's blessing is coming. I want to get in the stream of his favour, his purpose, his influence. God's power is a good thing. I want to receive that. And I feel exhilarated at the thought of being in the flow of blessing and success. Others of us might feel slightly differently. Perhaps we feel mildly irritated. Of course, there are always these occasionally sort of hashtag blessed people. And they're gifted. And they're in charge. And they're successful. And they're often even good looking. But that's not me. Our relationship to power is more complex. Perhaps we feel a bit ambivalent. Perhaps we feel wary because people who have had power in our lives have been dangerous. We've been on the receiving end of those in charge of everything types of people and we know we need to be cautious. Well, Joseph's relationship with power was complex. He'd been sold by a slave, as a slave by his brothers. He'd been trafficked to Egypt. And Joseph, from that trauma and disappointment and betrayal and physical anguish, is now a slave in the house of a powerful man. As someone who's been abused and traumatised by people who had more power than him, he's now in a new situation. And he's in charge now. That's repeated three times. He has authority and favour and success. Perhaps it seems like his trauma is behind him. But no, just as he feels he's emerging with God's favour on his life, a false accusation is brought against him by Potiphar's wife and he lands up in prison for a long time. A time of suffering is often characterised by a loss of power. If we could stop it happening, we would. This year, two of my closest friends have lost a parent to COVID. One friend lost her father, another friend lost her mother. And I can tell you that even as their friends, if I could have done anything to stop that suffering, I would have. 
Suffering is often felt as a loss of power. And Joseph has been traumatized by his family selling him. And now again, he is shamed, he is abused, he is imprisoned, he is abandoned, and he is traumatized. But you know, the way of the cross, the way of the scriptures, is not the survival of the fittest. And it is not you know, what Nazi Germany kind of spoke of as the triumph of the Ubermensch, Nietzsche's vision of the powerful, strong man who would be the hope of the world. That is not the vision of the scriptures. Because in the Bible, a person called to great spiritual authority and breakthrough and influence in God's kingdom is a person who knows what it is to suffer to be traumatized, to be falsely accused, to be betrayed, to be sold out by family or people you thought were family, to be oppressed by people who have power over you and to still end up loving a broken and traumatized world. That is the way of the cross. You see, a person call to leadership like Joseph does not love a traumatized world as an external observer, as someone who kind of looks on, maybe feels sorrow and pity for other people. That is not how Joseph leads. He leads as a person who is suffering and who does go through trauma. Just a moment on what trauma is. Trauma is not the terrible things that happen to you. It's what happens in you as a result of what has happened to you. The great writer on trauma, Vessel van der Kolk, says in, in The Body Keeps the Score, he writes, trauma is an inability to inhabit one's body without being possessed by its defenses and the emotional numbing that shuts down all experience. When trauma is triggered, we can regress into primal states of fear Increased heart rate, rapid breathing, cold sweats, constriction of the body, hypervigilance, flashbacks, panic attacks, dissociation, disconnection from things, perhaps difficulty sleeping, shame, avoidance behaviours, and many more things. Now, a personal disclosure for you this morning is that I have been processing trauma with a psychologist this year. I've been traumatized by being part of unmasking the power of spiritual and sexual abuse and the backlash and bullying that I faced um, as a result of that. And I've been greatly helped by therapy and I've been profoundly and deeply helped by the love of God who ensured that in his word, a traumatized world is described, but not just described, is encountered by the love of God. You see, in the Christian life, there is no shame in going through trauma. In fact, this hero of the Bible story, Joseph, is a trauma survivor. The telling of Joseph's story at all, including the deep wounds and disappointments he goes through, shows us that God is big enough and God is safe enough to be trusted by us as traumatized people. You see, in Scripture, there is an empty triumphalism. 
there isn't sort of saccharine religiosity where we have to pretend and sort of stir ourselves up into a state that isn't real. And there is no pretense that systems and institutions and bureaucracies can save us. Ultimately, the telling of Joseph's story is deeply, deeply healing. And Joseph is a prophetic figure in the Bible. Brian spoke um, earlier brilliantly about the Bible and he talked about messianic prophecies. He talked about prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. And we might think of Isaiah or we might think of Micah. But in the Old Testament, prophecy also occurs in people's lives and experiences. You see, the life of Joseph details and prophesies the coming of the Lord Jesus. You see, when we read in the life of Joseph experiences that point us towards Jesus, we're being pointed towards the ultimate traumatized savior, the one who is gonna come. You see, in the Old Testament, Joseph is the beloved son of Jacob. He has that coat of many colors. He's the one the father loves, reminding us of the one who would come after him, of whom God the father would say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Joseph is the beloved son. And Joseph is sent by the father on a mission to save the brothers. The father's worried about them. And so Joseph goes, sent by the father into the world. And that prophesies the Lord Jesus, who is sent by the heavenly father, not to condemn the world, says John 3:17, but that through him, the world might be saved. And then Joseph is sold. In chapter 37, verse 28, Joseph is sold by his brother called Judah for 20 pieces of silver prophesying that a few hundred years later, a descendant of Judah called Judas would sell the Son of God for not 20 pieces of silver, but 30. Joseph is the beloved son who is sent and sold. And then he serves as a slave in Potiphar's house, reminding us of the Lord Jesus, of whom Paul said Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a bond servant. Jesus is the one who is the beloved son, who is sent by the father into the world, who is sold out, who then comes and serves as a slave. Joseph re resists seduction. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. Jesus resists temptation. Joseph is falsely accused and then imprisoned. And before his accusers, guess what? He remains silent. Does that remind you of anyone? unjustly accused and sentenced to death by Pontius Pilate, who repeatedly said of the Lord Jesus, I find no fault in him. Jesus also, of course, suffers, and Joseph suffers in prison. Joseph suffers between two individuals, a butcher and a baker, and he has an impact on both of them. One of them is released from prison, and is saved ultimately, and the other is condemned. And the Lord Jesus suffers between two sinners, one of whom hurls insults upon him, 
and the other of whom the Lord Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Joseph suffers between two sinners. Jesus suffers as the traumatized saviour between two sinners. Joseph is then raised up out of prison to save. Genesis 45 tells us that Joseph was sent ahead to preserve that remnant on earth and to save their lives. That's the lives of, of his family, but ultimately of the whole world by a great deliverance. And of course, the Lord Jesus is raised out of that tomb. The tomb is empty. So Joseph is raised to save others and he is pointing us to Jesus. And he is then able to say these words to God. You have made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Why? Ultimately, because of Jesus, his very life is pointing to Jesus, the beloved son sent into the world, sold as a slave, resisting seduction, suffering in prison and raised to save. And it is because of Jesus to whom Joseph points that you and I can say the same. God, will you make me fruitful in the land of my suffering? Because Jesus changes our suffering into something beautiful and redemptive. You see, Joseph emerges from this extraordinary experience of suffering into a position of tremendous authority and responsibility. Chapter 41 of verse, and verse 55 the Pharaoh had had all these dreams, and they were kind of warnings about a famine that was coming. Joseph was put in charge of the financial and agricultural resources of that great empire. And over seven years of plenty, he saves the resources and builds this essential storehouse that ends up feeding the world. And the Egyptians begin to feel the famine in chapter 41, verse 55. And the people cry to Pharaoh for food. And Pharaoh says to the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. You see, having suffered, now Joseph is a safe person to exercise leadership, a trustworthy leader, a servant leader who will not abuse power, a wounded leader who understands trauma and is ultimately able, able to offer forgiveness to perpetrators of great harm. Joseph becomes the safe place and a safe person for a starving world. Marxism will tell us that a vision of human flourishing is found when we redistribute economic resources. Joseph shows us, mirroring the Lord Jesus, the ultimate justice and safety and food are found in the saviour, the traumatised saviour, raised to save. And Joseph points us to Jesus, ultimately by feeding the world from this massive storehouse of grain. He's seen power abuse unmasked. He's been sold, he's been enslaved, he's been unjustly accused, he's been imprisoned. His gifts have been used and abused by powerful men and their institutions. He's been abused by his own family. 
He profoundly understands abuse and trauma, and he is trusted with being the one who feeds the world. He is given this extraordinary position of authority because he will not now dominate or crush others or keep that influence for himself. Joseph points us to the Lord Jesus. Chapter 41, verse 57 says, Joseph became a, sa- became a saviour because all countries came to Egypt for the food. Chapter 41, verse 49 says, Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea, and it was so much that they stopped keeping records. Imagine that. God's provision was so huge and so abundant that there was enough for every living, breathing person in the world. So much that the bean counters gave up trying to count it. So much that the bureaucrats stopped trying to control the flow of resource. So much that they stopped keeping records. Enough for everyone. Of course, this is prophetic of the Lord Jesus and his provision for us, provision of salvation, the possibility of coming to know him, the possibility of having our sins forgiven and being saved from an eternity without him where we face just judgment for what we have done. Instead, saved for an eternity with Jesus, gloriously forgiven, paid our debt that we could never pay. But Jesus also has resources for us, his church. And that storehouse, that storehouse that Joseph has with unlimited grain like the sand of the sea, is a kind of visual image of God's abundant resources for us, his church. Resources for today, the needs that we desperately face in our land and in our world today. Resources perhaps for conservation in the ecological crisis. Resources for creatively reimagining economics in a literally starving world. Are there Christians in this tent and God is calling you to that great task? Resources for preaching the gospel in a broken world. I I believe there are evangelists, people that God is going to call up and raise in this generation to preach to a hungry world. Resources of physical food in the hunger crisis. God's storehouse for us is full. The New Testament tells us we only need to ask and to seek and he will abundantly pour out his spirit on his church with his gifts for the sake of the world. So today, let's receive what he has to give us. And let's follow Joseph's example, pointing people to the Lord Jesus and giving that food to the hungry, giving the word to the starving. And leaders, this passage or this story of the life of Joseph tells us that safe authority trusts the resources of God. Safe 
authority does, do, does not dominate or abuse or control the people in our care. Actually, safe leaders have suffered. Perhaps you've felt that the trauma that you've been through, the suffering that you may have been through, the disappointment or failure you may have been through, has kind of counted you out. But for Joseph, trauma and suffering were the crucible of his breakthrough. Victims of trauma here in this place today, is God reminding you that you are loved, that you are his child, that you are a vessel of Christ, that you can be a safe handler of God's power in our generation, not in spite of the suffering you have gone through, but because of Jesus, the traumatized Savior, who has so come into your life and changed your life, pouring the love of God into our wounded souls, that because of him, we can be those who offer his love to a broken world. That through Christ, that beloved son who was sent and sold, who was enslaved, who resisted temptation, who suffered and was raised because of him, you and I can serve a starving, needy, traumatized world. Have you counted yourself out because of suffering and disappointment this morning? God is counting you in. May the love and truth of the suffering Saviour, the Lord Jesus, traumatised for us on the cross, may his love and truth fill us right now. And may we be found trustworthy to be stewards of that gigantic heavenly storehouse of God's blessing, of his breakthrough, of his prophetic purpose. And may those resources flow through our hands, his church, in this generation. Why don't we stand, if you're able, we're going to pray now and invite God to do that in our midst. The bands are going to come back and we're going to continue to worship, but as we stand, I'd like to just invite you to have a moment of silence. And in that moment of silence, I want to ask you to bring your own suffering, disappointment, trauma to God, who is safe for you to do that. And we're going to invite him to pour his love and his encouragement upon us, his church. So let's just take a moment in the quietness to bring that to mind. I'm going to pray for us. God, all over this site, we come to you in weakness. We come to you in vulnerability. We come to you in honesty. We want to bring our hurts where we've experienced 
abuse perpetrated against us, we bring that to you, the traumatized Savior. God, we bring disappointments and the losses, the broken relationships, the discouragement that we have faced this year, we bring it honestly to you. And I pray right now that all over this site, you would come loving God by the power of your spirit and you would pour your love into our broken hearts. I pray that you would minister your love in the midst of our trauma and pain and suffering. That you would remind us that this is not a disqualification, that this is not a failure on our part or actually even on your part, but that you, the loving, living God, are here right now amongst us, your people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I just wonder um, if there are some of us here who are leaders or elders in churches, perhaps trustees of churches or Christian organizations, and God wants to meet with you right now. I'm going to invite Brian to come and pray over you. If that's you, can I just ask you to raise a hand where you are? We'd love to pray for you. That in this moment, in what you are called to do, where there is so much trauma and so much pain and so much work to be done, that God would turn the tide for us, that he would open that storehouse of heaven for you in your situation, that God would bring breakthrough where we've experienced disappointment and trauma, that the Lord would turn things around. I'm going to invite Brian to pray for us into that. So if, if you're in some form of leadership in, in your church, just stretch your hand out. Anyone? Okay, great. Lord, here you see your servants. And Lord, what a, what a privilege to be the servants of the living God. And Lord, we, we talk about being leaders, but we know that first and fo foremost, we're followers. And as we follow you, Lord, you fill us, you empower us, you cleanse us, you strengthen us, you impart to us all that we need. Lord, we think of that beautiful picture that you painted for us of the vine and the branches. And Lord, we today, we just remember that you are the vine and we are the branches and, and fruit is the natural product of the branch remaining in the vine. And Lord, you said that apart from you, we can do nothing. We acknowledge that. We can do nothing apart from you. But Lord, we know we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so we pray 
Lord, you know it's been a long, long season. And we have probably had our ups and downs. And, you know, maybe some today are still shaken and rocked and confused. Holy Spirit, would you fill afresh with your love, your goodness, your presence, your grace abounding. Oh, Lord, revive us as your people. Thank you, Lord, that you're faithful. Thank you, Lord, that as we look to you, our faces are made radiant. And so, Lord, may we, all of us in the days ahead, Lord, may we, may we be marked by ministering out of being being with you, not ministering out of our own strength or wisdom or energies or or what we plan. But Lord, may we be truly led by the Spirit. You said those that are led by the Spirit are the children of God, and may we be led by your Spirit. So bless and refresh and heal and touch and meet each and every person right where they need to be met this moment. May your presence be sensed. And Lord, may our hope be ever fixed on you and you alone. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.